Hello, and welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is the July teaching, Kingdom Vision. And just so you know, you're always loved and always welcome here. So dishes in our house are a serious business. Most of you know I have a ton of kids, and each child has had a time when they've been responsible for the dishes. And it doesn't matter who the child is. They are seriously resentful and like battle ready. So if anyone makes a dessert or they think they have made a dessert, it becomes like the serious inquisition. So if they find that, you know, a a glass dish in the sink, they're like, okay, this looks like it could have been a brownie pan. Did somebody make brownies? I didn't see any brownies, but I think someone made brownies. Mom, you didn't use this dish for dinner, right? This isn't just regular dishes. These These are dessert dishes, right? It becomes this whole battle ready so that they don't have to do that one single pan. So I thought, in order to make things easier, what if we got a second dishwasher? I've seen these in houses. I know that like this would really work for us. I'm thinking it would really work for us. My thought process is one would always be empty, right? So you would put your dirty dish right into this empty dishwasher. And the second dishwasher would be running, right? So that would provide the clean dishes. And I believed, I, yeah, I can't even believe I ever believed this, that this would prevent a single dirty dish from ever entering the sink. Okay, that was my belief. I did not have kingdom vision on this, okay? I did not know how it would end up. So we say for a long time, had this beautiful process of the Lord bringing us a second dishwasher My husband installed it. It was super exciting for like one week. And then the reality hit. It has just become a second holding area for clean dishes. It is actually just an excuse to procrastinate doing the dishes because no one wants to unload, especially the dish child. And because both dishwashers are constantly full of clean dishes, it's like a miracle if there happens to be like a fork or a spoon in the silverware drawer. Like I'm regularly stirring my coffee with a fork and convincing myself it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not fine. It becomes like an extra cupboard. And even though I thought that this would decrease the amount of dishes we would have, or actually I thought it would actually decrease the amount of time like dishes needed to, in parentheses, soak. Let's just talk about soaking the dishes for a while. Like after three days, I go to cook the next meal and need that pot that is still soaking. I'm like, all right, people. How long does that pot need to soak? How long can you procrastinate washing the pot out? There's like mold growing on the skim of the water. Is that mold helping the dried food like break off? Like what are we doing here? Someone just washed the stinking pot. So in the summer, when we have everybody home from school and all these meals, and especially when the kids are drinking more water, this becomes like a serious battle in our house, okay? It's like a whole extra level. So our youngest, Sebastian, he's six right now, and he had the great idea to take a straw from like one of those big water cups, like a bendy straw, and he put one end in the water dispenser from the refrigerator, and then he puts the other end in his mouth like a gerbil. So whenever he's thirsty... He gets out the straw from the drawer and like sucks on one part and puts the other part. And I just looked at him and I was like, this is horrifying. And also, I'm actually impressed. So 
And doesn't that just describe like parenthood of just being horrified and impressed simultaneously? Yeah, at least he's not getting, you know, another water cup dirty. But that is where we're at. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in Kingdom Others, we always talk about our foundation. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. We go to church on Sundays, and then we are staying in a state of grace. And then we build ourselves, build others, and build the church. And today we're talking about kingdom vision. And before we get more into kingdom vision, I want to just talk about our conference for one second. That's October 7th at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. That's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And last year we had our Maryland builders came in for the conference. They had an amazing time. And one of them told me later, she goes, she goes, I walked in there. I said, dang, I have never seen anything look this beautiful. I didn't even know Catholics offer conferences or retreats that are this beautiful. And I kind of laughed because she didn't mean offense. She didn't. She was a Catholic. But often our parishes are struggling just to do the bare minimum. There's so many things that they have to do with religious ed and RCAA and youth development. And so to meet the demands of their people, it gets heavy. We are not parishes, right? We are able to spend more time focusing on the details, things that we think every woman deserves in order to feel cherished. So we have an area for moms with babies. We have the fruit-infused water, scented lotions in the bathroom, swag bags, special prayer cards in these confessional. And that's like just scratching the surface. We don't do anything at Kingdom Builders that doesn't reflect God, that is not good, beautiful, and true. Everything we do has to be good, beautiful, and true. And we just want you to experience this day with us. I will also just tell you, I have a very embarrassing pirate story to share. One that I probably will not ever put on the podcast just to claim the little bit of dignity I've left. Plus, you kind of need photos to go with this event, which will be projected very largely on either side of the stage on these humongous screens. And that really just makes it come alive. I will tell you that the last time I told this story to a woman, she slid off my couch because she was laughing so hard. I'm not exaggerating. The time before that, I told a woman and she was bent over crying, laughing. All at my expense, of course, because that's how much I love my builder sisters. Like, I want you to experience my humiliation in a very safe way so that we can all laugh about it together. And even as it was happening, this pirate event was happening. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to share this with my builder sisters. When is the last time you've laughed that hard? Laughed until you cried or laughed so hard you slid off a couch? My sisters, you deserve this. If you're a man who is listening, get the women in your life to attend this conference. Tickets are on sale right now. They began selling them on July 22nd. 
And we want every woman who is able to go to go. If you can't afford it, we have a person that will work with you on your financial needs. There is no reason for women not to have this full day to receive all of the joy that the Lord wants to give them. Just go to buildingthroughhim.com and click events to find out more. So back to Kingdom Vision. So God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-good and all-loving. And why does that matter? It's important to know that and believe that because knowing and believing these things allows us to be vulnerable with Him. It opens us up to be able to receive His love because God is seeking relationship with each of us. And throughout all of scripture, there's been an association between mountaintops with heightened connection to God. And when we allow ourselves to be loved by him, to fall in love with him, we experience this type of mountaintop moment. This is where he lifts us up to feel his love and see with his eyes, kingdom vision. But there's many different types of mountaintop moments. Mount Tabor is where the transfiguration happens. So Tabor can be translated into pinnacle. And for some of us, experiencing that Mount Tabor moment, that pinnacle moment, can feel like God's love is brilliant and bold, just like the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. It's the highest peak. It's amazing. It's powerful. You just want to lay down prostrate and cry because you're so overwhelmed with his love. His radiance and his glory, they're like nothing you have ever experienced. Matthew 17, 2, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. These Mount Tabor moments often take place when we choose to leave our home and spend time with him. They often also take place at retreats, mass, gatherings, Adoration, conferences, what? Yep, like the one we're going to be having October 7th. God is going to be providing many Mount Tabor moments at that conference. Just like with Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration of Jesus, the experience of a Mount Tabor moment is most common where two or three are gathered in his name. So I went to this concert a while ago. And there were so many people there and you could just feel like inside my chest, I could feel the excitement of having so many other souls present in like such a small area. And it was just exciting. It was like fire. And I was like, my gosh, I wonder what this would be like to have this large concert filled with people who wanted to praise Jesus, people filled with the Holy Spirit with hearts on fire for him. I wonder how much more heightened that would be. And that's what it's like at a conference. When you have hundreds of souls together, laughing, talking, praising God, it's so, so good. It fills your chest like, oh, I've been waiting for this. That's the Mount Tabor moment we're talking about. But this is the thing. Sometimes we don't have a Mount Tabor moment because God doesn't always come in that way. Sometimes we have a Mount Sinai moment. God can come seeking repentance, like at Mount Sinai, where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Sinai can be translated as thorny, which is how it can kind of feel when God is calling attention to our sin or maybe a person that we need to forgive. 
But God only does this out of love. He comes to Mount Sinai to infuse us with a knowledge of our sin or an area of our life that needs to be given over to the Lord. It's a powerful moment of conversion. So I've had many Mount Sinai moments, and they're all thorny, right? They don't feel good at the time. A few years ago, my husband and I became obsessed with the zombie apocalypse show. And every show left on a cliffhanger. We were 100% addicted to the point that our conversations revolved around it. Did Glenn Maid get out alive? Did the zombies smell him if he was hiding underneath the trash can? Daily, we would rush to get the kids in bed so that we could like get back to, to watching our show, like the, the real important thing in our life. It, it honestly was an obsession. And during the day, like while my husband was at work, And taking care of the kids, I would like contemplate, okay, if they came through the back door, I would go to the front door. I'd like contemplate how I would keep my kids safe from zombies. Like this was taking up so much space in my brain. And this is the other part. My husband and I, because we would stay up so late watching this, we were totally exhausted all the time, but we had to keep feeding the addiction, right? We could not moderate the viewing of it. We only turned it off when we were absolutely like falling asleep, couldn't stay up anymore. We we were going to die. And it reminded me of that quote from St. Augustine. For many, complete abstinence is easier than perfect moderation. Complete abstinence is often easier than perfect moderation. We could not moderate it, okay? The Lord woke me up one night and he laid on my heart that my husband and I need to stop watching that zombie apocalypse show. I had a Mount Sinai moment. I knew it was God. I knew he was right. We had to stop. I started worrying about what my husband would do. Like he would be irritated because he was just as addicted as I was. It started to get later and later in the evening the next day. And I like ran it through my head a million times how I would like sell him on zombie abstinence. And I even considered like waiting a day or two. And then God reminded me of our kingdom builder quote, slow obedience is disobedience, Mary Jo. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know slow obedience is disobedience. It's literally my Facebook picture. Anyway, we get done putting the kids to bed. We walk down the stairs in silence, and it's as if he knew I was about to break the addiction. He looks at me and says, Mary Jo, I cannot watch that show any longer. It is just too dark. God had laid on his heart the same message that he laid on mine, so all my worry was for nothing. But even then, it was still hard for me at first to go without that show because I actually, like, formed some type of weird connection with those characters. And even though I knew they were pretend, it was illogical, but it's how I felt, okay? I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, how so-and-so's baby is 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 doing. I'm like, Mary Jo, that was not a real baby belly, okay? That didn't even exist. I'd have to like convince myself. I went two to three days and had to like go through withdrawal and mourned it. I actually mourned it. But slowly I processed through the withdrawal or whatever, and each day became easier. Now, even discussing it, seems like ludicrous and embarrassing. Of course, I like to share my embarrassing stories, but I needed that Mount Sinai moment of infused knowledge to move me away from that addiction. Even though those moments are uncomfortable at first, I'm always so grateful after processing through them because they give us this gift of infused knowledge. Sometimes it's repentance that's necessary or an invitation to forgive someone that's taking up way too much space in our mind. And sometimes it's an invitation to forgive ourselves. 
But those moments are so beautiful because it's God revealing a barrier to his beloved children that needs to be removed so that we can be open to receiving all the love that he wants to give us so that he can give us greater kingdom vision. But there's another mountain. So we have Mount Tabor, Mount Sinai. Now we have Mount Nebo. So Nebo can be translated as prophecy. So God can also come to show us his desires for the future, like at Mount Nebo where he showed Moses the promised land. God can show us a vision of his love of the future, which leads us to a deeper fulfillment of our purpose. It gives us a greater kingdom vision. And this is pretty rare. You might not have ever had a Mount Nebo moment. I've had a few, but not very many. I had a Mount Nebo moment about 10 years ago when I sensed on my heart God asking me to have two brown-eyed baby boys. Like I somehow was in control of what sex they ended up being. First first of all, whether I get pregnant, what sex they ended up being in the color of their eyes. And I know it sounds so silly, but I didn't like hear it. I just sensed it on my heart. I could not give any evidence of it, but I told everybody I knew. I was like, two brown-eyed baby boys. I would say it over and over. I looked crazy discussing it over and over. We already had eight kids. I had terrible pregnancies. I have a bad bladder, kidneys, all these different things. Also, I was geriatric. Yeah, they called me geriatric pregnancy. From a logical perspective, the last thing that we needed was any more children. But God was clear. That desire was so deeply embedded in my heart. God's love came to me in a Mount Nebo moment. And through that love came two beautiful souls. I mean, how boring would these podcasts be if we didn't have the Joseph and Sebastian stories, right? Like you would even not even have the gerbilness, right? To, to picture, like God had such a big plan for those two little souls. I didn't know it. I just knew it was laid on my heart. And he gave that to me. And he may want to give that to you also. But there's another mountain, Mount Horeb. And it's the most common mountain that God comes through. Horeb can be translated to desolate because this is the slow love that can feel like the longest wait because God comes in a gentle whisper the way he came to Elijah at Mount Horeb. And we may feel impatient with the wait. Where are you, Lord? We may feel irritated with the silence. I cannot hear you, Lord. But the Lord's asking us, to continue seeking him and listening for him. This gentle waiting for him allows us to grow the roots of faith that reach down deep. But growing roots takes time, right? And it can feel desolate and lonely amongst the winds and the earthquakes and the fires of our life. But if we are seeking him, he will find us here and those silent Mount Horeb moments and give us kingdom vision. This is from 1 Kings 19. At the mountain of God, Horeb, Elijah came to a cave where he took shelter. Then the Lord said to him, Go outside and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and the Lord will be passing by. A strong and heavy wind was rending the mountains and crushing rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. 
But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a tiny whispering sound. When he heard this, Elijah hid his face in his cloak and went and stood at the entrance of the cave. If we are seeking God, it is impossible for him to withhold his love from us. St. John Fisher says, He may no more withdraw from them the beams of his grace than the sun may withhold its beams to open windows. Let's just, let's, let's look at that one more time. God may no more withdraw from them, that means us, the beams of his grace then the sun may withhold its beams to open windows. If we are seeking God, it is impossible for him to withhold his love for us. And once you have experienced a mountaintop moment, and from its heights, experience kingdom vision, it leads you to do things and to go places that you would otherwise never go. It is because you experience the love of God. There's this Disney movie and this prince is trying to get this princess to trust him. And it's a, a beautiful song if you view it as like Jesus singing to you. And it's like, and she sings something to him like, A whole new world, a dazzling place I never knew. But when I'm way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world with you. It's a dazzling place that we never knew. And when you're way up there, it's crystal clear that you're in this whole new world with our Lord. St. Augustine says, to fall in love is the greatest of romances. To seek him, the greatest of adventures and to find him the greatest of human achievements. My brothers and sisters, a whole new world awaits us. And if you've ever been around two people in love, there is nothing more ridiculous than two people in love. And that's what the Lord wants from us. He just wants us to be ridiculous with him, be so in love with him that we are just ridiculous. So my daughter, Karina, had a boyfriend at the time, Josh, and he was preparing to go away to Purdue. She was staying in Fort Wayne and, you know, he got ready to leave. She cried and was sad. Our whole family was sad because we love Josh. We braced ourselves for his long absence. He wouldn't be home till Thanksgiving, perhaps. And then he came home the following weekend. And then he left again Sunday night. And we all said goodbye again and prepared ourselves for a long absence. And once again, he came back late Friday night. My future son-in-law came home almost every single weekend for three years, two hours there, two hours back while finishing his engineering degree. And him and my daughter, Karina, would sit on the couch together and do homework. And they weren't even interacting. They just wanted to be near each other as they completed math problems. It's illogical, right? A complete waste of gas money, a total waste of time, the mileage on the car. Their studying would have been better if they were at two different libraries in their respective cities, right? Because that's what love does. We do things and go places we would otherwise never go because it gives us new vision. That's what God wants for us. God's love is worth all.
everything that we believed was important before is nothing compared with his love. We can't say, oh, what about the gas mileage? What about the... It's like, oh, please, that is nothing when compared to the love, right? And so we must be continually on the lookout for our next rendezvous point with Christ. We have to seek out these mountaintop moments. But sometimes seeking out those moments can be filled with difficulty. Mountains are not just a place to seek kingdom vision. If you've traveled or lived somewhere that is mountainous versus somewhere flat, you understand how mountains often create longer routes. Oftentimes, to reach our mountaintop moments, it requires longer routes of travel and sometimes even suffering. And when we're struggling in that suffering, when we're struggling in the valley of tears, just trying to get up to that mountain, we remember that God has a greater purpose for it all. He will use it all. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All the suffering along the journey is totally worth it because his love is a treasure. God's pursuing us on mountains and in valleys so he can lavish his love upon us. You guys know the song, ain't no mountain high enough, right? Ain't no valley low enough to keep me from getting to you, right? This is Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has to buy it. This too seems logical, right? That's what love does. It's illogical. Wouldn't it be wiser to have a diversification of wealth, right? To sell all that he has to buy it, sell clothes, house, animals, food, land, to detach from all worldly possessions to claim the pearl of great price. Why would he take such a risk? Because he knows that the pearl living in God's love and living in God's will is the most valuable treasure in all the world. And God has not only given this treasure to us, God desires us to share the treasure of the kingdom with all. We are surrounded by people who have a reserved mountaintop seat and they do not know they were even invited. My brothers and sisters, we carry the invitation. Unwanted, unwelcome, unworthy, lonely, rejected, scared, come to the mountain. There's a reserved seat for you there. St. Pope Paul VI says, the church exists to evangelize. That's why the church exists. My brothers and sisters, we are the church. It is our duty. We exist to evangelize, to bring other people to the mountain, to experience that kingdom vision, to experience his love. Because if we're enjoying those mountaintop moments of his love, and we know there are other people starving for love of him, they are blind, they don't even know that he's there. What do we do? Do we pretend that there is no mountain? Do we drag them up the mountain, kicking and screaming? Or do we befriend them and invite them up to take their place and receive his love? 
Sharing our faith should not cause us fear. Our faith is not a threat. My brothers and sisters, our faith is a promise from Jesus Christ. And our faith comes with power. So St. Francis Xavier, one of my favorite guys, his feast day is on December 3rd, which is my birthday. So I like claim him. He's this missionary who sought out opportunities to share the pearl of great price, the love of Jesus. He continually invited people to those mountaintop experiences so God could display his love and power. So once when he was traveling, he entered this village and he was told not to bother trying to talk to them about Jesus because the entire village was pagan. And he simply responded, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So he learned while he was there that there has been this woman in labor for three days and she was near death. The midwives and sorcerers were treating her with these superstitious remedies to no avail. So St. Francis Xavier goes into the woman's home and he calls upon the name of Jesus Christ to heal her. These are the words that he wrote to St. Ignatius Loyola about the event. These are his actual words written in letter form. I began with the creed, which my companion translated into Tamil. By the mercy of God, the woman came to believe in the articles of faith. I asked whether she desired to become a Christian, and she replied that she would most willingly become one. Then I read excerpts from the Gospels in that house where, I think, they were never heard before. I then baptized the woman. It didn't end there. As soon as St. Francis baptized the woman, she was healed and gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Then that family invited him to baptize all of them. News traveled to the leader of this village, and he gave St. Francis Xavier permission to proclaim Christ there. And the entire village ends up being converted and baptized. Because let us remember, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all his, my brothers and sisters. He is asking us just to go bring the invitation. And even if you're not ready to ask God's healing power over strangers, you can still bring invitations. And you're like, hmm, what kind of invitations? Can invite someone to pray, right? Hey, let's just pray about that. Just say a quick little prayer. Invite someone to attend mass with you, to go to a Christian concert, if you're a woman, to come to a Kingdom Builder gathering with you. The August gathering is Hallowed Be Thy Name. Christian retreats, Christian conferences, like the Magnify Conference on October 7th. To share holy music, Kingdom Builders has a playlist that is amazing. You can go to buildingthroughhim.com and click resources, and it will pop down as Kingdom Builders music. Every song that has ever been played at any gathering is on there, and it's so, so good. You can also share a podcast. How about this one? You can share this one. But I listen to many different podcasts. I have shared them multiple times, especially if I know someone's struggling with something specific. I'm like, mm, that person needs to hear this. Just have the willingness to forward. You know, that takes 20 seconds to forward that on. Or maybe you're inclined to text a Bible quote or a saint quote to someone that you know is kind of struggling with something, or maybe they're experiencing some joy and you want to share with them in their joy. You can use the quotes 
from the gathering notes. And you're like, how about maybe there's one from last year that you're like, oh, there's this one from last year that was really powerful. You can go to our, our website and click resources and gathering notes is on there. All of the ones from last year as well. There's saint quotes and Bible quotes that are so powerful on there. But the bottom line is we never stop inviting others up on the mountain. The more we do it, the more natural it becomes. But 20 years ago, I was invited to attend a Christ for Nuisance Parish retreat. I had never been on a retreat before. And when I was invited, I was sure that I was not holy enough or knowledgeable enough on the faith. I struggled with the spirit of unworthiness and um, the lies that I didn't matter, that I was a burden to others, that I was invisible. I didn't understand those things at the time. I had no idea the power of renouncing in the name of Jesus. I didn't understand that those spirits and lies were the enemy. I just knew that there was someone way more qualified to be attending that retreat than me. The only reason I ended up going is because they called me the night before and said, if I didn't fill that spot, it would go unfilled. So I felt like as long as I wasn't hogging up a spot of someone else, someone who was much more deserving to be there, I would go ahead and go. I decided I would just like stay out of the way. I would not bother anyone. I would just try to stay quiet so others wouldn't realize I was totally unqualified to be there. I didn't even know mountaintop moments existed, or even if I thought they might have existed, I thought these moments were created for like way more holy people than me. These were the experiences for the holy people, not for hot mess moms who are hanging on by a thread. I've always loved Jesus, but truly I have never allowed myself up until that point to receive his love and be loved by him. That retreat changed my ability to receive his love. I experienced a mountaintop moment and I felt his profound love for me. As I said before, I didn't know that level of love existed. And I'm so deeply grateful for the woman who had the courage to invite me over and over, even though I kept declining. She was like relentless. And she didn't know why I was declining. I wasn't telling her, actually, I feel unworthy to go. I was like, oh no, that's okay. That's okay. I it was just making up like random excuses and like trying to like keep her away from me. She didn't know that it was my unworthiness that was keeping me from going. Okay. So you don't know why people are saying no. You just keep on inviting, right? That retreat changed me. The static that had continually been involved in my prayer, the inability to really feel and hear him went away. I chose to leave the world behind for just a little bit so I could know the one for whom my soul longed. I had a Mount Tabor moment and I knew I had to invite people just like she did. And when I first started inviting people, it was totally awkward. It was, it was like stuttering. Yeah, I was like such a bad stutter. I was, you know, had this fear of rejection. I did it anyway. To retreats, conferences, whatever, to pray with me. I felt scared, right? But I did it anyway because I knew the impact it had on me. And I knew that woman was relentless in getting me to come to that retreat. And I was so grateful but this is the cool thing. The more that I invited people, the easier it became, right? Just like riding a bike, it took a little while for me to kind of get used to it. And that's the same for you. The more you invite people up to the mountain, the more natural it will become. 
just like St. Francis Xavier, we can ask the Lord, Lord, please reveal to me the people and opportunities to bring people to you. And once you ask him that, be prepared to minister to his children because there are many who are lost. And if you ask, he will send them to you. Are you ready to ask him? If you're not, don't say it, okay? But I'm going to ask you to say it. Like if you have like a little tiny spark in your heart that's like, okay, I think I want to say it. Just say it then. Just do it. Like take a leap of faith with me. Just repeat after me. Lord, please reveal. Lord, please reveal. The people and opportunities to bring people to you. The people and opportunities to bring people to you. Now you have to be ready. He will bring people before you. You're going to start praying with people. You're going to start saying, oh, you need to go to Christ Renews' Parish. Oh, you need to come to Kingdom Mother Gathering. Oh, come to this Christian concert with me. Oh, you need to listen to this podcast. Because did you know the most common religion in the United States is the religion of nuns? N-O-N-E-S. The religion of nothing. They're totally unaware that mountains of love or kingdom vision even exists. Many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus spoken outside of cursing. They don't know. And we remember every soul that comes before you was created by him, for him, and belongs to him. And we're not responsible for the response to the invitation. We're not. We're only responsible for giving the invitation. God doesn't offer us his pearl of great price through mountaintop moments to share his kingdom vision to only make it through this world. He offers us these gifts to bring us home. These are the gifts of our salvation. Jesus came to overcome sin and death and open the gates of heaven. Let's just say that again. Jesus came to overcome sin and death and open the gates of heaven. And he taught about this all the time. We must have eternal perspective. We must embrace the fact that our invitation has the power to alter the eternal destination of another person's soul. Our invitation has the power to alter the eternal destination, heaven or hell, of another person's soul. This is from Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. And there may be some men and women who are listening to this who have never really experienced the love of God. Perhaps you have not been invited to know him, love him, so you could be open to receiving his love. So if you're a person that has never had any mountaintop experiences of his love, 
Or if you're a person who has had many mountaintop love experiences, there's more. There's more. We must continually be on the lookout for our next rendezvous point with Christ. Each of us is invited to a mountaintop moment to experience kingdom vision, but we must make time to be with him there. Maybe our Lord is leading you to a mountaintop moment in adoration or at mass or with your family or while you're driving. The Lord is not confined by time or space, right? He just wants to bring us his love and he wants us to be able to see. So let's look at the mountaintop moments which he might want for you. Mount Tabor, that's the pinnacle. That's where the transfiguration happened. It's deep, it's penetrating, it's electricity, joy, tears, awesome. And often this is where two or three are gathered in his name, right? Then there's Mount Sinai. Sinai translated as thorny. Oh, ouch. This is Ten Commandment awareness, recognition of our sin or like a feeling of remorse, recognizing someone we need to forgive or something we need to repent of, an awareness of a barrier to receiving his love. And it might be a desire to receive the sacrament of reconciliation. It's wonderful. Sometimes we will even get these Mount Sinai moments in the middle of the night. That's where mine happen a lot. And even at night, they awaken you with like a little thorn because they're thorny, but they're good. Then we have Mount Nebo. Nebo is translated as prophecy. This is the promised land view, right? God can show you something he's going to do or ask you to do something that is exciting and a little scary, but beautiful and fabulous. And then there's Mount Horeb. Horeb's translated to desolate. This is the cave whisper. God will come to you in the gentlest way. He will fill you with a deep peace and it will be carried in you and through you. But there's also one other option. There might be a brother or sister who's listening who's never experienced the mountaintop love of God for another reason. Sometimes we can block out his love because of the severity of suffering that we've experienced in our life. A lot of us have experienced great trauma and it's difficult to be vulnerable to love when we have experienced deep suffering. I want you to remember, God is all good. God is all powerful. God is all loving. God is all knowing. God knows all our sorrows, and he especially desires to radiate his glory into the places of our pain. Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. These sufferings are nothing compared to the glory he's about to reveal. So if this is you, You've experienced so much suffering, it's hard for you to be vulnerable. Jesus doesn't want to take you to a mountain. He wants to take you to a hill. He wants to take you to the hill of Calvary. Calvary can be translated as a sweep of land and time. He wants to bring you to the hill of Calvary where he too suffered. 
He waits there to take you into his arms, wipe away every tear, and sweep away all the time that has passed between you. He desires to give you the pearl of great price, his love. God's love is bigger than all of the tragedies, all of the losses, all of the trauma, all of the failures that you have experienced. And on this hill, you can give all your wounds to him. Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds, we are healed. You can allow him to heal them all. Let's open up our hearts right now to receive all the love that God desires to give. Matthew 13, 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. If you're not driving, just pause for a moment, close your eyes and let me pray over you. God, we come to you right now. And God, we ask you to heal our wounds so that we may be fully open to receiving all of your love. Lord, remove the veil and open our eyes to show us the opportunities to get away from the demands of this world and experience your kingdom vision. Father, we bind all desires in the name of Jesus so that our longing is for you alone, our precious jewel. And Father, we hold nothing back. Take us higher, Lord. Raise us to even greater heights of your love. Show us a whole new world. Isaiah 54:10. Though the mountains fall away and the hills be shaken, my love shall never fall away from you. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.